Hi, on the 5th and 6th of June, 2024, I'll be speaking at the largest AI event in Asia, Super AI in Singapore, at the iconic Marina Bay Sands. Alongside brilliant minds like Edward Snowden, Benedict Devon, and Balaji Srinivasan, I'll be on a stage exploring the extraordinary potential of AI and the profound change it represents, not just for financial markets, but also for the world as we know it. With over 5,000 attendees and over 150 side events, Singapore will become a vibrant hub for a full week from the 3rd and 9th of June. Visit superai.com to register and join me with 20% off tickets using the code REALVISION. Use the link in the description and I'll see you there. It's going to be incredible. How high can tech fly? Welcome to Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Monday, February 26, 2024. I'm Ash Bennington, joined today by Dave Mazza, Chief Strategy Officer at Roundhill Investment. Dave, welcome back to Real Vision. Hey, thanks for having me back. Dave, it's great to have you, man, especially uh, talking about what we're talking about right now. I teased it uh, at the beginning of the show. Talk to us a little bit about how you see these markets, especially the high-flying tech stocks. Yeah, well, it's it's fascinating because on one hand, it's it's always hard to continue to be bullish when markets just keep going up and price targets just keep going up. And it's natural for anyone, whether you're a bear or not, to check yourself. Uh, but if we take a step back and look at the data, uh, which is really kind of how we like to frame out opportunity sets, uh, earnings season, particularly for the Magnificent Seven stocks, was downright great on average. Uh, now, certainly Tesla's uh, maybe in, maybe in a a league of its own uh, from from being a bit softer, um, but these companies generated close to fifteen percent revenue growth. The the rest of the four ninety three a more modest two point nine percent, but but still pretty good. So we're out of that earnings recession. And what's that's driving us? That's a huge yeah, delta, massive, huge, massive performance. And I think that's what's been a bit not to change the subject here. I know we're talking big picture, but that's been a bit misunderstood, right? It's Everyone's looking at the valuation, right? And PEs are high across the board. They're particularly high for tech um, and for mega caps in general. But I think the reason why is that the FOMO kind of came back to the market, but it came sort of where there was growth opportunities. And it turned out the growth wasn't from small caps, wasn't from uh, areas that uh, maybe some were thinking that it could be from a rotation standpoint. It's come from mega, te- mega cap tech on average. And that delta. You're absolutely right. It's massive. Uh, and if people are looking for opportunities in the market, right, we're not in a TINA environment. But where are you going to go? You're going to go for growth, especially if you're concerned that growth, economic growth, is going to be weak uh, uh, in the back half of this year or into 2025. Yeah. And you dig in one level further. You talk about uh, the margins that these businesses have and the growth on these margins, uh, which are quite compelling on the surface. Uh, talk us through that. Yeah, so the, the other interesting point is we know that AI in general really was kind of the, the, the initial drive higher, right? The excitement around that uh, where companies like NVIDIA, Microsoft, Alphabet going to see a boost from that uh, as right. consumers embraced it, uh, enterprises embraced it. But again, if we look at the fundamentals, huge difference between the Magnificent Seven and the rest of the market. One on just simply the uh, the margin difference. So we're talking about about 23% versus 9%. So that's 23% for the Mag 7, 9% for the non-magnificent 7, if you will. 
But more impressive is the growth of that margin. We're seeing the Magnificent Seven margins continue to actually continue to grow and the 493 decrease. So this thesis that we've had, and uh, yeah, we're not the first to talk about this, but, but there's kind of a haves and have nots. We've heard about that for the economy. We're actually seeing it in the equity market too, where the haves keep getting more and the have nots um, really are out of favor from a sentiment perspective, but also from a fundamental standpoint. Well, let's talk about that because uh, the, the margin story here is a really interesting one. 23 versus, uh, percent versus 9%, uh, two and a half times. I mean, these are just huge, huge differences. Why are these companies able to generate such higher margins? Uh, is it because of scale and because of the fact that essentially uh, the marginal cost, particularly in the software business, probably doesn't hold as true for uh, NVIDIA, but in the software business, essentially your, your marginal cost is zero of producing an additional unit uh, of the services that these guys produce. You got a global market. Uh, boy, that sounds like a favorable setup. Yeah, you're hitting the nail on the head. Um, so really, one, from a, from a fundamental standpoint, from just the way the businesses are structured, really, most, most of them have the ability to kind of scale much quicker. Um, and we know the talk about hyperscaling with AI and with, with the chip industry, what have you. So that's an example of that. Uh, it's also been the fact that many of these companies a few years ago were some of the first, actually, to begin with this rolling recession idea of layoffs. And so they actually have seen their revenue growth increase, um, but also their cost structure get uh, improve as well. Um, so, so that all has helped. Um, now we can talk about is that bad economically and things of that nature. You never want to see people out of work, but the companies clean themselves up uh, and they were some of the first to do that uh, where others have not. So I think all of that has actually helped. And then plus, um, you know, as you, as you alluded to, we just have the fact that these companies, it's not just seven stocks or 10 if we want to go broader. There are hundreds of companies, right? Alphabet alone owns 200 companies. The same could be said about, um, about Meta and Apple, what have you. And so I think we get a little bit too hung up on just the concentration of seven names. What's happened over the recent past is that these seven names might just be seven stocks, but they're not seven companies at all. There are many more. Yeah, I want to come at this from a slightly different angle. Uh, I want to read a tweet that you retweeted uh, because it gives you a different sense, a different context of where this might be coming from. Uh, one of the questions that folks ask uh, is, is this rally overextended? Do they have room to run? What's the question? What's the context? Let me just read this for you. This is from uh, Bespoke Invest. Uh, here's a stat for you. It's been 309 trading days since ChatGPT was released on 11-30-2022, and the NASDAQ is up 46.07%. percent uh, in the 309 trading days after Netscape, the first web browser, was released in December 1994, the NASDAQ was up 45.9%. doesn't get much closer to that. Now, here's what's interesting. When you look at this chart, where we are today, uh, some 300 trading days in, it suggests uh, that the other two cases here uh, continue to run for a great deal longer. We're about a third of the way through if the cycle holds. Moreover, you start to see the second derivative, the rate of change, steepen not decline over time. Again, not suggesting that the past will repeat itself, but there is always the question to ask is, does the past rhyme uh, with what the future may be? Dave, thoughts on this? Yeah, I thought, I thought this was a fascinating stat and kudos to the team at Bespoke for kind of thinking about this because many have said that the release of ChatGBT is AI's iPhone moment. Uh, and of course, that means there's a lot more to come. Uh, and, I, and I generally have to agree with this. Uh, uh, really, almost for about a year, perhaps even more, 
we've been discussing, or, or I've been thinking from kind of how I frame out the market is that we are not, when folks were saying, are we in a bubble or are we heading? We're nowhere near that. We might end up in one because of charts, charts like this that suggest that we actually are in the early innings as companies embrace AI, as we learn from the most recent earnings season that this is not, wasn't just a flash in the pan, right? There is true, real demand. This isn't a theme that's uh, particularly generative AI that's happening uh, 10 years in the future and we got to get on the bandwagon now. I mean, it's happening now. Companies are using it. Consumers are using it. Of course, there's going to be issues and uh, whether that's the news about Gemini and Alphabet and things of that nature, uh, or just look at the release of Sora that came out of OpenAI. This is amazing stuff that we're seeing. There's going to be a lot of hype around it. Not all of it is going to pan out, um, but I do think we're in the very, very early days. And even though it makes people uncomfortable to say, hey, how can markets keep going when we have you know, PEs above 30 and what, let alone price to sales multiples of some of these companies that are under traditional lenses extended, well, it can because now you have people embracing it uh, and sentiment will come along with it. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Join over 5,000 attendees for the largest AI event in Asia at Super AI Singapore, June 5th and 6th, 2024. Rao Pal, Benedict Evans, Balaji Srinivasan, Edward Snowden, and over 150 others will join the industry's most influential to explore and unveil the next wave of transformative AI technologies. Singapore will become a vibrant AI hub for a week from June 3rd through June 9th with over 150 side events that will make for unparalleled networking opportunities. Visit www.realvision.com forward slash super AI for 20% off tickets with the code REALVISION or click below. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Well, Dave, since you mentioned sentiment, we pivoted away from fundamentals for a second. We're talking about sentiment and technical factors. Uh, all this week on Real Vision, we're hosting a series called How the Pros Do It. And we're talking about research. Today, we had a phenomenal kickoff with two RV OGs, Jared Dillian and Tony Greer, sitting down with Maggie Lake. Uh, let's take a listen to that clip, and I'd love to get your response to it just after this. What's in the, in the pot when you're looking at something? Basically, sentiment technicals. I do look at charts, um, and the best trades are when the two line up, when the sentiment and the technicals line up. So, for example, uh, back around 4,800, 4,780 in the S&P, um, I took a shot on the short side, which was purely based on technicals, and it worked for two or three days, and then I got stopped out. And the reason it didn't work was because the sentiment and the technicals did not match up. The sentiment was not extended enough for that to work. Okay, if you want access to research from the pros, go to realvision.com forward slash 
RV Marketplace. That's realvision.com forward slash RV Marketplace to see what RV member discounts are available. Dave, you heard it right there. Tony Greer uh, and Jared Dillian talking about the idea of sentiment uh, and technicals, uh, when they align, when they don't align. Any thoughts on this in terms of the way you look at markets? Uh, I think it's uh, kind of spot on, particularly for kind of the more trading standpoint, right? So uh, let's use the technical point, right? So uh, we know that that can provide insights into entry and exit, but it kind of, it's sort of how I was trained from a fundamental standpoint around valuation, right? Who can, look at the Japanese equity market, right? Classic example. It's been, it was cheap for 30 years for good reason. There was no earnings firepower, let alone, let alone revenue growth. Demographics weren't there. It wasn't until there was some catalyst that made that market attractive. And then a big part of that was Warren Buffett's investment into trading houses, right? And so people said, huh, huh, we got to relook at this. And the sentiment began to change. So I agree when those two elements align positively, uh, particularly if you're, on, if you're on a bullish side, um, it's going to be very helpful because we are in an environment, um, at least a thesis that I have, is that um, fundamentals and technicals in isolation don't matter as much because we're so often algorithmically driven or quantitatively driven. But the bigger trends or the more kind of medium term to longer term trends is where you have sentiment aligned with technicals or aligned with fundamentals. And just like we're seeing with the potential for the AI story to play out in that same way, uh, is that you know we, we've seen this time and time again, particularly as now um, we, uh, we have to recognize that the movement and the flow of funds and the movement of money, especially with retail coming back in the, in, uh, into the marketplace post-COVID, it can be really important. Let me ask you this, uh, because you mentioned the Japanese equity market, sort of one of the great uh, tropes that the bears always rolled out uh, about whether it was uh, technical uh, technology skepticism uh, or what have you, or overvaluation in general, was this idea that the Nikkei 225 never regained uh, its 1989 high. Well, that one got blown out. Uh, here we are yep. trading at, uh, what is it, uh, just shy of 40,000 on the Nikkei 225. Uh, any significance that you attribute to that, uh, or is this just a case of... Uh, of essentially Japanese uh, central bank intervention in the yen and devaluation. Well, that's probably a, a topic that you could spend uh, three days talking about the impact of what the BOJ has done over the long term and the the benefits or not. But um, I do think uh, just let's go back. Let's go talk about the chart for a second. I, I do think that that's incredibly significant. Uh, we know that you know for for many years we were wait. It's you know it's like a waiting for Godot. You're waiting for uh, markets to regain not just from kind of a classic technical standpoint, but just how people feel about it, right? Are we back to a place that makes sense? Do we finally regain all of that? Um, and again, oftentimes that happens when you have sharp run-ups in prices that aren't truly sort of backed up by fundamentals. Um, but now if, we, if you see that being regained, it took over 30 years to get that. To, to get that um, then I think it, it makes the potential for the, reform, the reforms um, that the government has tried to put into place and that companies are taking a bear, uh, kind of much more real and actionable and something that I think um, has the potential to play out, not just kind of a, uh, a hope and a dream, if you will. Yeah, by the way, here's a segue for you talking about the risk of purchasing power declines uh, in fiat currency. Let's talk a little bit about Bitcoin uh, trading right now on my screen, 54,462 uh, up five, uh, five plus percent trailing 24 hours. Uh, thoughts on Bitcoin more broadly? Yeah, today today was really a huge day. Uh, we were talking about this in the in the intro here. Um, really impressive sort of gains. 
what I thought, what I've thought that's interesting about sort of the Bitcoin setup is that um, our our expectation was that we were kind of due for a bit of a range bound year. Perhaps we might um, still find that out to be the case, but I think the most recent moves have been impressive. We know there was like Bitcoin always does, uh, or any really any uh, asset, more speculative asset does, is that we tend to see extreme run ups uh, in positive news. You know whether that's uh, the Coinbase IPO introduction of futures, and then the the really important introduction of spot Bitcoin ETFs, and then you see the kind of sell the news event, uh, and that kind of happened again here. But to me, now that we're seeing really even with the outflows from GBTC, the impressive inflows from I think a non crypto specific investment community into ETFs, which have which the bulls have been waiting for, or, or Pointing to as a as the a big part of the potential bull case, um, outside of all the uh, the other issues uh, from a fiat standpoint, is impressive. So, um, although we've been uh, we've been thinking it's probably due for a bit more of a range bond trading environment, uh, we may be uh, pleasantly pushed to the upside on that because there does seem to be um, this idea that now it's not just you know when we're in an environment where we're not just having kind of what we'll call it you know crypto people or whatever the 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 haters want to, want to say, you can't say that anymore, right? So we know that we're going to have uh, Bitcoin ETFs used in traditional investment portfolios, and that's great. Um, and so now we have that sort of as another driver of demand. And really, if, we, if you look at some of the numbers, at least um, that are coming out, most recently, they've, the, the ETFs for kind of their relatively small size in the grand scheme of things have been a pretty big driver of demand, which I think is impressive. Yeah. By the way, I should say questions coming in hot today. We're going to get to those in just a second. Not surprising given the topic uh, that we're talking about here. Uh, but before we do that, you guys at Roundhill are in, uh, at least in part, in the ETF business. Uh, and I want to talk a little bit about the Roundhill Bitcoin Covered Call Strategy ETF. Uh, first of all, tell us what it is uh, and give us a bit of a primer for people who are not familiar uh, with the income uh, uh, bets on uh, covered calls, what it is, what the downside is. Uh, talk a little bit about the structure of that fund uh, and how you guys see it. Yeah, so let's um, uh, a lot to unpack there. But so YBTC uh, is the U.S.'s first uh, uh, covered call Bitcoin strategy ETF, uh, and the idea is quite simple. Uh, it combines exposure to to crypto or Bitcoin and the potential for high income. So traditionally, covered call strategies are used in the the equity market as a way to to extract income out of assets that may not pay uh, pay you income, which is you know one of the knocks on on. Uh, on Bitcoin itself. And so we implement a covered call strategy where we sell um, uh, uh, slightly out of the money um, uh, options uh, to generate uh, to generate income. Uh, and, and when you have an asset actually that has inherently high volatility, the potential for high income can be very robust. So for example, um, the distribution yield, the most recent one based off of the distribution that we announced today for YBTC is over 40%. We are not, we cannot guarantee it will always be that case. It's a function of the um, the difference between implied volatility and realized volatility, but very attractive for someone who's looking for income um, but wants to have exposure to Bitcoin. Now the downside would be one, um, you know, that's kind of an you got to think about it as a bit of an income first approach combined with the potential for total recurrent coming from Bitcoin. But if you're looking just to get all of the upside from um, that Bitcoin can have, you're not going to get it with a covered call approach. 
it, it will lower the volatility of the asset significantly, which could be a benefit. But if you're, if you're looking to invest in Bitcoin just to maximize returns, YBTC will, uh, will lower those return potentials, but uh, on the flip side, provide you with potential for high current income. So the way I view it is um, there's been so much great advancement in, in, uh, in Bitcoin, in ETFs, with all the spot Bitcoin ETFs out there. This is another opportunity to say, hey, Bitcoin is being institutionalized. There's more uh, access to it than ever. And this is a way to combine uh, the potential for returns that you get from, from Bitcoin, but actually harness the volatility that can come from it and use it to your advantage. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Yeah, by the way, when people talk about markets maturing uh, and the uh, the sort of the structural buildup that needs to happen, folks, this is what they're talking about. Uh, by the way, of course, uh, understand your own investment needs and objectives, uh, whether something is right for you or not, clearly not financial advice for educational purposes only. But it's an interesting point uh, to talk about. Listen, talking about covered call ETFs, uh, Ralph Humphrey has been paying attention. His first question to us is, I noticed that Roundhill has a covered BTC ETF. Uh, are there any plans to have an ETH version of this strategy? Uh, and if the SEC were to approve a spot ETH ETF, do you foresee any real obstacles to having a yield component uh, to it via staking? Great questions. A lot there. Yeah, so um, uh, certainly we are always, well, I'll say this, we are always looking for new opportunities to uh, introduce innovative strategies. I think the fact that we um, brought something like a Bitcoin covered uh, call ETF very quickly after spot Bitcoin ETFs can give you a sense of how Roundhill thinks about the world and thinks about being nimble in opportunities. Uh, there's a lot of work to be done on, on the uh, approval of Ether. However, a lot of that work was done with the approval of Bitcoin uh, and then the introduction of Ether ETF. So um, time will tell. I think it's really difficult on this one um, until we have some more information to say, hey, I think uh, ETFs are coming, you know, under this time frame or another time frame. Um, but the door is open. There's an opportunity set there, um, and I think what's interesting there is um, integrated into some of those funds could be that staking component, or you could implement a covered call type strategy or other options oriented strategy on an ETH asset itself, which is what really YBTC is doing uh, with with a Bit with with a Bitcoin asset. Yeah, I guess the only proviso to say there is one never knows how the SEC is looking at this. Uh, do they see Bitcoin as different because it's sufficiently decentralized in some different way because it's not controlled by a group of, uh, you know, a group of uh, of uh, whatever, however they think about it, right? In terms of the governance perspective, I don't, I don't want to sort of attribute anything there. Uh, but and does the staking component uh, potentially raise a complexifier? Uh, unknown, have to wait and see. Uh, but certainly an interesting thing to think about. Next question comes to us from Narc Mark Naismith Beely. Uh, Dave, what do you think the sentiment means for Apple and Tesla? Yeah, so this is a, this is a question we've been talking about a lot. Is that is that anytime you see um, and let's take maybe we'll take those two stock two stocks separately and then combine them for a minute. So we actually did a study because um, we were getting a lot of questions. Right? Is Tesla still magnificent? Does this make any sense? And what's fascinating is that if you look at rolling. Uh, returns. So looking at rolling 12-month returns on a monthly basis, the differences among those seven names, and this, of course, predates when they were packaged together and thought about this way. But 
Before then, there was FANG and FANGUM and MAGMA and all sorts of other acronyms. Um, to me, I think Magnificent Seven kind of captures it well because it's just talking about the group of stocks. It's less reliant on whatever uh, the ticker symbol is <laughs> of, of one of those names. It's yeah. to me just you know, an expression of mega cap leadership and mega cap tech. Right. Is that there's times where there's 100% return differences. So it's actually normal, even among these seven names, to have this version. Now, so that's, that's kind of fact. But what I would say from a sentiment standpoint to go back to that is, yeah, sentiment on Tesla um, is, is weaker because they, they disappointed. Um, the company, I think, uh, has a, the one thing I would say is you never really, you should probably never bet against them because um, they've impressed time and time again. And everyone loves, not everyone, but there's a good group of people that love to bet against Musk and bet against what that company can do. And I think he showed some firepower in, in, in fighting back on that. But uh, at the end of the day, there's some cyclicality with the business. They're, they're, they are an EV car company. Demand is slower. Lowering prices didn't help. And they had a week, they had a week Q, Q4. And, and, and that was, that's been reflected in share prices. Apple's kind of a bit more challenging. I think people are hoping, um, but this week they do have an annual meeting and the question's going to be AI, right? That's the focus. With the other names, with the five other, of the other Magnificent Seven, it's very clear, not just the fundamentals that we spent some time talking about a few minutes ago, but they're all AI, right? There's no, they're, they're involved in it in some way, shape or form. Those two companies, a little less so. Um, and so because of that, I think it has weighed on them from a sentiment standpoint, but that could change in a dime, particularly with Apple, very, very soon. Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by what's happening at Apple right now. Obviously, the tremendous amount uh, of hype and focus the Apple Vision Pro is getting. Uh, you have to wonder if maybe some of the other hardware markets they're in, uh, notably cell phones, tablets, uh, and certainly desktops and laptops have begun to mature, have begun to cool. Uh, is innovation there slowing? I don't know the answer to that question, but it's certainly one that I think a lot of folks are asking. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you're, you're 100% spot on there, right? So it's, it's a lot, uh, if we remember when the iPhone came out, it's pretty, um, it's pretty easy to see, right? That's something that people would use, right? Um, you know, the, the BlackBerry movie, if those haven't seen it, I'm, uh, this is not a sponsored ad, but the, the moment, in, there's a great moment in that movie where they're watching it, the employees are watching it, um, the announcement from Steve Jobs at the time that the, the iPhone is here and it was just, a completely superior device uh, in many ways. The Vision Pro seemingly is incredibly superior. The videos that people were posting um, were it is it, the immersive experience is unbelievable. But can you you have to take the leap that I'm going to be wearing and walking around uh, right. with a headset on, right? It's not a phone in my pocket, um, and it's not cheap. But I think for what by the way, Apple that's such was, a key distinction. That's such a key distinction because. Prior to the iPhone, uh, you did have a cell phone in your pocket 24 by 7, uh, maybe less, maybe 12 hours a day, but you certainly had a cell phone with you. When I look at the Vision Pro, I think just amazing technology, incredible innovation. What a cool concept. But am I you know, going down to the Apple store on Fifth Avenue to buy one in the next, uh, in the next six weeks? Probably not. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. But I, think, I do think they accomplished what they needed to accomplish sort of step one, saying if we, when we build something, right, Apple, they, it's just great. Um, it's kind of hard to say um, that that they don't make great consumer goods. The challenge is, right. to your point, the total addressable market for now right. remains much, much smaller. I think there's still a lot of work to be done by um, by Apple and probably by Meta too that 
with their Quest Vision Pro and Samsung and others will come that this is this is something that you can use and it has um, additive ben- benefits that are additive, not just that you can go watch movies on the subway uh, in, in a cool way. Like you can use this for life and work uh, and it will lead to things like the metaverse and the spatial internet and all the longer tail um, opportunity sets that um, can come with the integration of uh, augmented reality, virtual reality, and, and the real world. So um, I think time's going to tell, but for the time being, at least for that release, um, I think Apple accomplished what, it, what they needed what they needed to accomplish. But like anything, they're going to have to show that they're making more progress in AI quickly so that that name doesn't get forgotten about like, uh, like Microsoft has made, saying we are very committed to it. You know, Microsoft made another investment in a competitor to OpenAI today. Uh, if if people are were questioning their commitment to AI, it's uh, it's clearly it's clearly there. Yeah, I, I think you know. Boy, so, so with someone who's watched both of these companies for a long time, first of all, I'm a, I'm a big fan uh, of Apple products, and the consumer experience has been amazing for decades. Uh, but I think you're right; they've basically put a stake in the ground uh, and said, "Look, we're going to be innovating here. We're going to be spending a lot of money. We're going to be spending a lot of our focus on this. And whenever this technology matures, we're going to be here, and we're going to come out with a great product." Microsoft. Uh, it seems that con- anyone who's questioning their commitment to AI uh, is probably missing the narrative here. They are just so all in on this. Microsoft is such a fascinating company because they missed missed so many yeah. big trends being the market leader uh, in desktop operating systems when that was the only game in town in technology. Uh, let's see. They missed the internet. Uh, they missed the cloud. They missed cloud applications. They were just, they missed, they missed, they missed. And then they spent and they somehow managed to come from behind uh, and compete. Uh, with Google and Amazon. It's just a fascinating, fascinating story. And it seems as though they have just gone all in at a 90 degree angle uh, on AI technology because of, I think they're probably their experiences in the past. Yeah. Well, I think that that uh, the, leaders, the leadership there knows that, that, that we are at uh, or have seen, to your point, this kind of playbook play out against them. And now they're at another tipping point. And if you want to be all, if you want to be in on it, in this world, again, this haves and have nots, you can't dip your toe in to any to, to something like this. I think they're saying um, we are going to commit to doing it and do it in a material way and do it right. Uh, and in this example, uh, I think they're actually perhaps because of the regulatory and political environment saying, "Hey, we're going to do so with some partnerships as opposed to under kind of fooling in our house that may actually be beneficial to them, uh, especially as we are." You know, in the midst of what's going to be, uh, a very, again, I think as most people would say, a very heated election cycle and things like AI, not just for the election fears, it's going to be front and center um, from policy standpoints. Yeah, it's, it's also fascinating. That's a new model for Microsoft. And maybe it betokes folks uh, a kind of uh, humility in their perspective and just how hard it is uh, to make these jumps from behind. Uh, but a great a great conversation. I wanted to hit a couple of more uh, questions here because they're coming in fast and thick. Let's do a little bit of a speed round, Dave, see how many of these we can get through uh, here. Let's see. Uh, here's a question. Um, here's the one I was looking at. Uh, oh, here one from Bonito. I read today that S&P gains over the past year were fueled 60% by one stock, NVDA. How do you resolve that under the assumption that the market is currently fair-priced and reasonably balanced? Dave, interesting question. Yeah, no, it is. Uh, and this is probably not great for a speed round, but I'll do my best on this. But yeah, N- N- NVIDIA NVIDIA's earnings uh, or revenues have been astronomical. It's very rare to see a company, even before it was a trillion dollar company, let alone a potential $2 trillion company, to see compounding annual growth like that year in, year out 
they are doing in a quarter, they did, they're doing as much revenue as they did a few years ago in a full year because they have innovated and continue to spend on R&D in a way that others don't. Um, so to me, I, 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 I can justify it because the revenues are there. Now, the question would be, well, uh, can that continue? I think at the, at the very least, for a few quarters out, it looks like it's going to continue to happen. At some point, you get stock prices that become detached from reality, but they've grown into their revenues and grown into their earnings. So for the time being, this thesis, I think, continues to play out. If a change happens on the macroeconomic side, both positively or negatively, that's when this changes. But we're not, I, I don't necessarily see that happening in the near term. Here's one about Alphabet, which we haven't talked about too much yet. It comes from Oliver M. Question for Dave. How do you think the recent Google Gemini challenges with truthful answers affects the trust people will have in their AI and future usage? By the way, if you didn't see conservative media this weekend, it was all lit up about these stories uh, about Gemini. Yeah, uh, not uh, not a great uh, kind of release uh, for their offering in the space. Uh, and um, <laughs> like anything, if it can become politicized, and, and, and it did, and, and maybe for good reason, maybe for not, but that's a topic for another day. I, I do think this all this does, though, is continues to shine the spotlight on it from a political standpoint, that this is, it's nascent technology, though. And so we have to understand that it is, it, uh, I don't think it's malicious that these things are happening. It's that these uh, there needs to be learning that happens with this. And in, the, in this case, they may have not been ready for prime time, but because they're seeing the commitment that Microsoft had, they 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 had a move and it didn't necessarily work out. Yeah, I don't I don't know what ultimately happened there behind the scenes, but it certainly seems like one of the factors uh, was just the the mad dash to get to market and not to be perceived as a laggard in the space. Whether yeah. there were other causes. Uh, remains to be seen, but that certainly seems like one of them. Okay, here's one that's uh, talking about financial services. This one comes from Retro Spaces uh, on YouTube. Any thoughts on brokerage slash bank stocks? Robinhood beat and had strong guidance. Their earnings call. The stock has been on a crazy run lately. Retrospect says. Yeah, no. So uh, I think the financial sector as a whole really has kind of been a struggle for for investors because it's. It's an amalgamation of all these different trades, right? Um, whether you're the money center banks, the the brokerages that actually, um, with some volatility and, and with some renewed M and A, actually have, have done better than I think people had given them credit for. But then you got regional banks, then you got the real estate issues. So it's been super hard, I think, for folks and rates and the yield curve. Um, so for every pro, there's been a negative. Uh, but when we get a little bit more clarity. Uh, which I think is coming sooner than later, particularly with this week's PCE, on what, is it really going to be three? Do we think we're going to get five cuts? I don't think so, but some maybe maybe are hoping for it. On that, well, then that sets up an opportunity, I think, to have a kind of a, a more productive dialogue about exactly where financials and banks in general can go. Dave Mazda bringing the heat, absolutely scorching conversation, talking about all the topics that folks who are following these equity markets most want to hear. Final thoughts, key takeaways that you'd like to leave our viewers and our listeners with. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll leave everyone with this, is that, um, look, we focus on the fundamentals. The most recent earnings season was, was really good for a small number of companies. On one hand, that doesn't necessarily make us feel good, particularly when we think about uh, where valuations are. 
But as I noted, it's not just those seven names uh, or 10, whatever you want to choose. Many of them have exposure to hundreds of companies. And that I think is emblematic more of where we've come from a market structure standpoint, where there is a few number of few number of stocks that actually have exposure to a wide range of themes and opportunities in them. So I think it's best not to always fight kind of what's happened, right? The mergers and acquisitions that occurred 10 years ago, they're playing out. There's opportunities for revenue, opportunities for growth. Uh, and let's not ignore them just because we don't like the fact that it's seven, seven companies, not seven days. Dave Mazza, Roundhill Investments. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Boy, what a fantastic conversation. I'm going to go and watch that one again when we wrap here. Thank you all so much for watching or for listening to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Remember, if you want access to research from the pros, head to realvision.com forward slash RV Marketplace. That's realvision.com forward slash RV Marketplace to see what RV member discounts are available. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. See you all then. Have a great afternoon, everybody. We hope you enjoyed this episode. At Real Vision, we arm you with the expert knowledge, time-efficient tools, and a powerful network to help you succeed on your financial journey. Get a taste of financial freedom with our free offer at realvision.com forward slash free.